0: chaos comes,
1: it's a chance to be initiated. You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world.
0: It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, Every day is adventure. Guys, welcome back to the n Sons Podcast. Before we begin, I actually do want to point out that this is the last week to get on the mailing list for the folks who are going to get Volume 3 immediately, once it prints. For those of you who subscribe to the magazine after this week, you're just going to have to wait like kind of a lot longer. They've got to get here, I've got to mail them. And so just want to encourage you, if you're listening now and haven't subscribed, use the code podcast for 10% off. And uh, volume three will be shipping in the next couple of weeks, but the list is going to be done as of this week. So there's your last chance. Blaine, welcome back. Thank you. I think for those who have been listening, I want to put myself in their headspace and go... How are you? How are you doing this week?
1: I would say I have been interested in the final chapters of Job recently. And it actually didn't happen because I felt terrible. In interesting ways, those books kind of came along over the course of the season. But which one to start with? Job, because I was talking about it. God's response to Job I think m- might be uh, one of the most misread monologues in a book of misread texts. I think it's really kind and wonderful. Um, and I was doing the dishes the other night and listening to that particular chapter and got asked Job this question, um, have the gates of death been shown to you? Do you know the dwelling place of utter darkness? And it struck me that only God knows uh, the dividing lines between life and death because they, I mean, we can get into this to a certain extent, but they overlap. And I've been really struck this week by how much eternity in view of being eternal beings, um, intersects with finality and living in a dispensation where death is still a reality that's significant to God and going, how do you possibly divide those things? How do I deeply acknowledge the pain associated with death? How do you live in a world where death is a thing that is also a world where it's not a thing and uh simply not a thing because John Donne death thou shalt die and go wow several weeks ago in sort of a sort of a theoretical moment i just had this oh where are the gates of death where it, where is that dividing line and god making it very clear only he knows and that being a knowledge that in prayer like on purpose going i give the knowledge of uh, like the dwelling place of utter darkness to you, God. I'd say you alone know um, where the gates of death are and that actually bringing with it an incredible amount of relief. To me, that, that speaks of a
0: sub-conversation or a, a train of thought that I'm certainly prone to when accidents and deaths happen which is that like looking forward to try and brace for the next one or to try and like gauge when someone's story is going to end because it's it feels somehow safer to be like okay i just suffered a loss whether it was expected or unexpected it actually lands in that wrongness area of our gut the same there's just that like death is wrong feeling and so thinking back to when Craig passed, I, I found myself sort of looking at everyone I knew, almost like a deck of cards, and trying to figure out whose story seems to be next up, um, as though somehow predicting that or being able to know, oh, okay, here's another person who's struggling with a disease, or here's someone who's old, um, because obviously that's how life goes. There's no sudden violent unexpected traumas. Oh wait, yes, there is. Um, Somehow being able to predict the next death was like having some control over it. So when I ask you how you're doing and you start talking about Job and (laughs) the, like giving that knowledge to God, what I also hear is that there was some of that wrestling for you because all of your losses recently have been unexpected. And so there has to be this release of, I can't predict, and it's not even my right or helpful for me to.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't even say there was wrestling. I think uh, there's a really interesting way in which only eternal questions matter on, on a fundamental level, like uh, not only what is the meaning and name of humanity, but... Where is this going? What's going to happen to everybody? Mm. What are my relationships for and what kind of thing is relationship and does it have a timeline and you know, you talk about the self-defense of looking around going, who's next? Brace yourself and I just look at the Psalms and the amount of people being compared to grass, chaff. Nothing. <laughs> mm. Like there are times when comparisons fail. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? Like what what it is... there's not even man is like Blake. <laughs> like there's just this. Wow, how do you even conceive of something that is utterly delicate and then at the same time view it as something linked like to an eternal destiny? And I have been fascinated would be the safest word that I would use. About how the presence of God does not actually nullify anguish. He's a comforter to real pain, not an annihilator of pain. That's actually very significant when you go, Jesus comes up saying that he's the resurrection. You're not being corrected of a falsehood. You're being provided comfort. And if I were to say, you know, um, you know Sam left, and then someone to come and correct me and go, no, he's right there. There would be an instantaneous relief because I had a propositional problem. Look, there he is. Oh, thank you. Uh, but when there is a real experienced incarnate problem, death in this dispensation, I'm really intrigued currently of the fact that Jesus shows up and goes, I am the resurrection and the life. And that does not sudden, like sweep away uh, how difficult it is to have friends die, have beloved animals die. One thing that was pointed out to me. Uh, Really interesting, in the middle of Philippians 2, Paul's going along, he's doing his thing, he's talking to a church, and uh, he's talking about, you know, there's this pastoral exchange, people getting moved around. And then this really interesting aside, this is Philippians 2, 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, I don't know, my brother, co worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, here's a significant part, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And it's interesting to me to look at Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians and has maybe the most salient grasp on the destiny of humanity possessed by any person outside Jesus. And yet, for him to lose a dear friend, he knew would have meant utter anguish. This is the guy who can suffer anything and go, you know, we are struck down but we are not destroyed, we are oppressed, but we are not abandoned. This is that Paul, and yet his knowledge of the restoration of all things through Jesus doesn't mean that if he were to lose a friend, he knows he would experience sorrow upon sorrow. And like, I feel grateful uh, for God, for Jesus' ability to enter the pain of loss, to enter tragedy without the tragedy going away, it's not like he's light and he enters darkness, so there's no darkness anymore because the light's there. It's like he is the hope, and that is an incredible comfort when it comes into a place where there's real darkness. I know. I'm
0: at the moment struck by the fact that Jesus is the resurrection. He's not the immortality. Like all of the stories of sort of the mad scientist or the... um, the villain who wants to live forever. I mean, this goes back into mythology. The, like the people grasping at never dying actually are the evil ones in the story all the time. But Jesus doesn't offer never dying. He offers life after that doorway and then doesn't take away the doorway, just makes it not the period, takes away the victory from death. And it's just that, I'm like, oh, oh. okay. Okay. So slight pivot. I was telling my condensed story to our home church, a small group, which is an interesting experience and good practice. It's my third or fourth time doing that. I think even in that context. So for me, it was like, I wasn't worried about it. It was kind of just interesting to see the lens that I was going to be looking through at the time because that changes. And two thoughts on that. The first was for me in this season, I've never done this before, but I've just found myself beginning with there is only Jesus for me. And this is the way I want you to hear this, my story this time. Um, Because as I'm going to tell you my story, when I hit these losses and these grapplings, I have come to a place now where like, that is the only answer. And that is the only thing I can rest on in those places. And that's not a bumper sticker anymore and that's not a triviality. That's like a, I'm going to begin there and now let me tell you why. Um, And I think I've only gotten there through many of those death doorways. The second thing is that at the end of my story, I found myself acknowledging that I needed soul care, like people were asking questions. they like, so how are you doing these days? And I'm like, well, actually, I feel really drained after this summer, to be honest. I, like, I, I look forward to summer a lot personally, and I end up meeting with some of that disappointment. I do this with holidays too, where I'll like just throw all of these rosy images on what Thanksgiving or Christmas is going to look like. And then inevitably it's not. And so I have to kind of deal with that. But that happens on a different scale with summer and warm days and lots of vitamin D and all of that. And this has not been an easy one this summer to say the least. And I found myself just saying at the end of my story, like I'm actually really weary and I'm needing some soul care. Um, Interesting that that is a big piece of the book that dad's been writing. And I've got a manuscript sitting on my night table that I have uh, a couple chapters into and, I'm failing and finishing that. But I, I threw that out there as like, I am aware that I have healing I need to do, that I need to like find these places that are going to pour into it. But I, and then I kind of moved on and somebody um, stopped and was like, what does that look like for you? Actually, like, what, what do you do? And it's a question I want to ask you, but I'll answer it first. I, I'm aware that there's a big difference between naming... I need to deal with or care for these losses, these traumas, these places and actually doing it. I think we're pretty good as a culture like about naming. Oh man, I'm just like taking so many hits. I need some like me time or something like that. And that's just so not enough. That's acknowledging it isn't actually doing it. Um, And we had a conversation about this the other day what does that look like and I think for me this fall I'm looking for some solitary spaces a couple of days because that's a place where I can go and let other things wait for a little while Um, my life it feels very full these days with lots of people needing things and so to have some like dedicated spaces where I'm able to not to be in nature and to have some uh, time with God and time without noise sounds so kind. In addition to that, I am needing some intensive counseling to address these things, to have someone that I trust enter into some of those pieces of my story and offer the kindness of God there. Because as much as I know I need those things and I can find the right verse, um, I can't drum it up myself. I need somebody else and somebody else's eyes and somebody else's bestowing of dignity and kindness there. And I'm also aware that I very much need to trust that person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that's something that I I don't have the answer for at the moment, but I'm in the middle of very intentionally finding it for this fall. And so it w- it was good that somebody asked that follow up question of okay. What does that look like now that you've named it? And so um, what's that category like for you? What's, what does soul care, What what's large and small scale
1: look like for you? That's good. If I'm just going to hang a big parenthetical aside here and go, you know, we've been thinking over the summer about people and what they are, what they're for, how how are you supposed to think about human beings um, in view of like final human goods? And people as the image of God on the earth were meant to live in this incredible network of loving, intimate relationships, not just with people, but with the garden they kept and the animals they knew and the place and the seasons and the triune God. What I see... Is that, you know, what we know about selves, there's this phrase, the permeable self, that it's really hard to look at any person and draw a fine line between where they actually stop and where the environment or other people or the community begins. And that is meant to be positive, that we are meant to live into eternity. We will be members in these deep, intimate, relational worlds that we when I say world, I don't mean planet. I mean the small part of creation where you'll be at any given time. And that looks like a massive relational snowshoe to me that uh, like, very little of which is actually supplied to us. Like, you know, go, um, hey, on any given day, do you feel like the forests around you are really contributing to your soul what they were meant to? Like, it sounds like a weird question, but I'm utterly serious and to go, Do you, you know, feel like the people around you are contributing what they were meant to to your soul and go, no, because they're fallen from paradise and that has consequences for your soul? So I just think of that in terms of, I think about soul care in that snowshoe of patterns and experiences. One, very helpful practice in like soul care I think in some places I'm in soul care and in some places I'm just an experience because soul care feels like a lifestyle and also feels retroactive to me. Like when you ask how am I, I go in some areas I know and then some of them I just don't. I just am not well. You telling your story actually strikes me as like soul care that I've been doing in my journals where being out in the woods by myself for a day with sp- is for Jesus to ask questions that were kind of as simple as How's your heart? Is it heavy? And just going, yes. And how it's really been helpful for me area to area to apply sort of a technique of storytelling that follows the gospel, which is like on any topic, where's home being the question, like what was this? Um, And then what happened and where is God coming for you? And then what is the future you are hoping for? And it's really interesting for me to do that as a discipline with key friendships of, like, what was it? Um, How much can I talk about what that was in its um, original state? And then how much can I talk about what happened? How much can I talk about what, like, the effect it has had to me? Like, the way that I have coped with that loss, predominantly in negative ways. And then where do I see God coming and name some things? And then, like, let my heart hopefully surface into... What am I hoping for in that area? And a lot of them I just don't know. A lot of them in the journal, what am I hoping for? Question mark. And then nothing. And then like two blank pages and I start something else because it's just like, I don't know. Practical sense, yes, I am about to go do a counseling intensive and looking for, you know, what's the intensive experience and what's the ongoing. Then also looking for what would the local form of that look like. It's funny, the resources that I would point people to, I'm like, oh, can I use that one where I go, Dart has an allies network where if you happen to be a listener to this, you can find therapists in your area who share uh, core pieces of your worldview such that they might be helpful to you. But it's kind of hard to ask your friends. (laughs) Had a friend send an email to a counselor that just asked them, who are the three therapists in this region who you would like kind of strongly recommend? Because that's almost as helpful as, hey, you should go see this guy. Go, well, that could you one person. But I do know one good counselor, and, if you, but you, and you can send him an email and ask for his core cadre, and all of a sudden you have three recommendations, and that might be a way to build out that network. Um, one thing that's happening is, uh, like in a church context, there are a couple venues in which uh, just some coaching is available. Um, which is not counseling, uh, and it's not really any of the other streams. It's just, you know, you, can have a, you get to have a conversation where you raise something you are trying to work through and just get a bunch of questions about it that help you explore the territory. Um, and then in, at the end of this month, going to have almost a week of solitude in the wilderness that happens to coincide with the end of archery. So yes, I will have a boat with me. Dad's book on soul care when it comes out, how to get your life back, it's going to be helpful for everybody. I'm uh, sorry,
0: how to get your life back. How
1: to get uh, your that, life that back. That phrase
0: just came out very quickly. How like, to get
1: your life back. There are like levels of practices in there that I would go, Wow, oh, a lot of those are things that we've been working to incorporate over time. Your exposure to technology, your exposure to nature, uh, the places where you're actually falling in love with God, and then some of them are the bigger ones of... Wow, those are the everyday. What are the really intense things look like? Where are the on sites? What's intensive counseling? What does, you know, integration prayer look like? And trying to bring those in, in like a concrete way is something. And of course, if you remember what I just said, out of all that theory, there's only two real significant ones that are on the calendar, like a counseling intensive and time alone. And then the others are hopefully patterned into everyday life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is important to have those that are more regular and like, how are you framing your life? How are you building your world so that you're not just kind of trying to white knuckle it until either you die or Jesus comes back. And I know many, 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 many people that try to live that way. Just hope there's enough fuel in the tank. And maybe I'll find some life on the side to pour some more fuel in, question mark? Do I'm still looking tape? for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not very convinced. Um, yeah, those rhythms are really good. And I, I'm aware that you have an assumption about church. Um, back in college, we had this thing called the the emotional one-night stand, and it was that person that you go to for a, a coffee, or a walk and you massively overshare or you both do because it's a lot like what Facebook does it feels really good to be seen and to have someone affirm that but then if you weren't actually living life with this person if this was sort of like getting to know them have this really heavy conversation go too deep too fast never see them again that was an emotional one night stand and you actually end up feeling much worse And you need to kind of get that fix again so you go and have that conversation with the next person because it feels really good to be seen and be affirmed. And like, you're getting the first layer of what that is supposed to be, but you actually aren't going any deeper because you're not walking with that person. And so when you say, Blaine, yeah, like have some conversations with people in church and and just that it's not counseling, but it's something else, that's based on the assumption that this is... Either a relationship that you already have or that has a commitment to it that's going to be continuing, um, which is new for me because I was really great at going to church, doing the thing, shaking hands with people next to me. I sing the song, I listen, we leave. Thank God I don't have to like talk to any more of these people anymore, right? Like that, I got in and out for years with churches. And so if I were to be like, wow, now I just need to like have a conversation with this guy. I just feel really drawn to him. And so we had coffee. Like that, that's a bad scenario.
1: Oh yeah. The commentary I'd add to that is, yeah, there are a few relationships that I have been committed to for entering year five now that for years not for a semester, not for a fall, but for years, were hard. And yet, there was the leading of the Holy Spirit. We could go off on the world's biggest rabbit trail here of how does the gospel affect the way that you relate to people in their various categories, but go, okay, no, there is a clarified group of people. I feel a calling to in this season, and I can actually name the season. It's been pretty long. It was like five years, and then now it's another five years, and go. And in that, there are a couple of people that I feel particularly called to and committed to, and that commitment is understood and shared. And after a lot of the inside the difficulty that goes along with relating with people, you do end up having clarified places where it makes sense to go to to share more of your heart and over time like with ongoing touch-ins
0: yeah it's so good i want like the reality version of how good friendships are made and it takes so much time and it's so exhausting and it's just not the end product that i want to just go buy off the shelf because obviously that's appealing. I want that part. I want what I imagine other people have. And uh, as your friend says, I'm just not willing to put in the time or the effort to get that part. <laughs> Do everything else.
1: Oh, that's that's among my favorite friend-isms of all time, which we mentioned before, as a buddy who would look at anything and go... Look at someone who is great at playing the violin and go, oh, man, I would give anything besides a decade of work to be able to play the violin like that. And just the awareness that actually a lot of things are available to us. It just happens to be that the one thing they cost is the one thing that we don't really want to give them, going like, oh, man, I would give anything except having to die over and over again to myself and with others in order to have deep friendships. This is kind of an interesting thing of, you know, Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. One place that that has uh, become applicable to me is holding in mind in the things I love eternity and a clear view of the restoration of all things, which does not paint over or annihilate my experience of loss, but is... <laughs> a rescue from despair, to go, on a small level, the friends that I have, for the joy that having these committed friendships is endure the cross with them, places where they're sharing, like in the death of Jesus, where either it's, you know, something that's in progress in them or a difficult season or whatever it is. Like doing that, knowing that following that there comes a resurrection but also, sort of in this life, there's this, uh, it's 합rian- Tennyson, who framed that it's better to have, in in memoriam, A-H-H, long, sad poem, following the death of his friend, where he finally gets to this conclusion of it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. I think that's a ridiculous sentiment, uh, because it implies that you can take your losses and compare them to... Uh, your loves and go. Th- th- they feed into a common tank. And I'm like, they don't feed into a common tank like you lost this much, but you got this much relating, so that brings you back up to a six or a seven. I'm like, they're so different. They don't they barely speak to each other, but they both affect the heart. And I go, I'm not looking at the world of relationship going, Well, I would rather have that because it would better have that even if even though I lose it than not. like there's no calculus that makes sense there. But I can pick that. Knowing that it means walking through death, either explicit death or metaphorical death with them in view of like eternity. Otherwise, how would anyone who has experienced a miscarriage keep having kids and just go, like, oh no, no, for the joy set before me, like in the assurance of co creating eternity with God, a family of people that I will meet. I can keep going through this. Otherwise, I don't know how you fool yourself into going, like, you just have to adhere to obscure definitions and try to dissociate.
0: Yeah, that's so good. It's back to where I begin telling my story these days. Like, there's only Jesus. I'm floored, most of all, by the humanists who sort of managed to, like, convince themselves to be good people though at the end of the day, there's just nothingness. Like, why? Why? <laughs> why? That's not good enough. If that's the case, if it's just nothingness, if all of my losses are true, well and truly gone, if all of the beautiful things I'm experiencing are well and truly gone after they pass, why are we not all just driving really fast and doing all the drugs we want and drinking everything like that? Just burn this place to the ground. It's a leap of denial instead of a leap of faith. So all of this being said... I do want to return to how are you doing with all that being true right now?
1: Mm. i I miss my friend. Uh, I miss my horse. whose halter I've been holding as I walk around the house. And yesterday was the first day in a while that I just came home really excited to be with my wife and daughter going, "Um, today was like a good day. Uh, Today, you know, in the middle of everything, included playfulness with God, just included in the middle of the process a level of the other parts of my heart still being available to god on occasion it was very buoying so uh hopeful out of that and i think some of the soul care things that i'm moving into i'm not very familiar with so i kind of feel the nerves of what is it like and how does it work and like you know i feel what i hope is a standard amount of nerves when i have to like Get a shot. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Keep your game face on. But at the same time, there's this kind of, I man. I, I mean, I had these particular shots and had this leg injury that the needle was so big. It was like, oh, what's this going to be like? Um, that I feel a little bit like that too. Of, uh, wow. I know that there is soul care and and there is mothering from you, God. That these are some of the things to do. And ooh, is it's going to hurt? I don't know. So. Have to talk about it on the other side.